0: Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn.
1: And I'm Ben Cardew. And uh, we're going to start off this week talking about Matt Moss. You uh, spoke to Matt Moss about their new album, uh, Ultimate Care 2, um, which even, I think, by Matt Moss standards, is not uh, your standard electronic music album. Um, tell us about it. What is it? What's the album? Well,
0: uh, Ultimate care Two is um it's it's an album made entirely using the sounds of a washing machine and specifically one washing machine their, their own kind of home studio washing machine there uh i think it's a whirlpool ultimate care Two. uh it's the one they use every every day to use to to wash their clothes and um yeah they they, they sampled the thing they put contact mics on the thing Um, They drummed on the thing. They got some friends. uh, Dan Deacon came in um, and some other friends from the Baltimore music community. And they basically manipulated this washing machine every way they could think of. And they recorded all of that material. And they created uh, a sort of music concrete album. Out of it. Uh, a 38 minute album, one unbroken track, because that replicates the, the, the length of a typical um, wash cycle.
1: I, I love Matt Moss. I love uh, a lot of their albums. I think they're fascinating. But one thing that did almost occur to me with this is: is it almost, what's it like to listen to? The concept's great, but really to listen to 38-minute, one 38-minute track about washing machines, what, what's it like?
0: I've kind of gone through different, different sort of phases with it, and I think a lot of it depends upon. Um, I don't know. It's it's not it's not a like a an easy listening album. It's it it's definitely an album that kind of it doesn't have the same sort of shall we say use value as as other sorts of music. I mean, it doesn't. There are beat oriented portions. There's bits yeah. where it's real kind of pots and pans, shoes in the dryer, techno, but. That's not. It's not like a DJ thing because nobody's going to be queuing up this 38-minute track in the club and finding, you know, the part where the beats are in it's, the lounge. Right. Well, yeah, maybe you know. It's it's uh it's not really uh it's not a. I mean, it, it, you could put it on for background listening. I yeah. mean, there are parts of sort of tedium. And when I when I spoke to Matt Mos about the project for Pitchfork, they were very uh, kind of adamant that 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 was part of the the concept of the album is that. They kind of wanted to honor the the tedium of of everyday life. I mean, Drew, and I don't think this was a tongue in cheek um, assessment. Drew talked about the way that sort of social media is all about creating envy in other people, right? I mean, we put up these yeah. photographs on Instagram that are designed to, you know, you you and I both live here in Barcelona, so I think the temptation is always there, like
1: the beach in January. Exactly. Yeah. Today <laughs> it's
0: snowing, and you know, all up and down the eastern seaboard. My temptation was to like. Instagram like palm trees and and sunny sunsets so this album kind of goes against that because there's this one four-minute stretch where it's literally nothing but the sound of the machine filling with water and sloshing around and they wanted to keep that in there because they you know it's sort of like this is what real life is like they talked about um, the filmmaker Chantal Ackerman and a film that they had seen of hers, I don't remember the title of it, but she had all of these, It was it's a feminist film, it's a lot about women's work, and there were long segments of, like, a woman makes coffee, and she grinds the beans, and she fills the coffee pot, and she does all this stuff in real time, and it takes, like, five minutes, she boils the water, and you're sitting there watching it, and it's almost painfully long to watch, and then at the end the milk is spoiled and she has to do it all over again. And so they, they they were really inspired by that, they said.
1: I mean, that was one thing that really stood out for me, the four minutes of sheer washing machine <laughs> filling up, sheer washing machine sounds. Where does that come on the album?
0: You know, I'm not 100% sure. I think there's a moment about two-thirds of the way through that I that I remember putting in my notes that it just sounds like, Pure. I remember the sound of water, and and it sounds like pure, unadulterated washing machine. They also mentioned something I think early in the piece that is, they do a filter sweep. Um, they like with the contact mics or whatever. They they basically just do a a, a filter sweep. To, to find the uh, this is all very like vague technical speak by the way because I'm not an expert but to find the resonant frequency of the of the washing machine itself and so they're sort of like turning up the dial on the filter so that it's running every sort of frequency through right. the machine um, and and that's another like long portion of it where where nothing is happening other than that um, filter sweep. I mean, where does it fit
1: into their catalog? Because they've they've done they've sampled all kinds of things. And um, thinking about this album made me th- think about a chance to cut is a chance to cure. An album they did sampling uh, plastic surgery, which was actually very listenable. Um, how does it fit into their catalog? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting you say that that was very
0: listenable because I think this is the album where they've done the least. Um, they've done the least kind of musically and every other occasion they've, they've taken those sounds and they've fit them into a, a musical framework that sounds almost like dance music. I mean, there are you know, there are four to the floor rhythms, there's kind of IDM glitchy bits, but they, but it's, they could reasonably have made that those compositions with other sound samples and it would have come out sounding similar. And in this case, I think they've really let, the machine and the machine's rhythms lead them and so that's why in it's perhaps less musical in a in a traditional sense if that makes sense yeah. to you i mean it's more like it is it's it's like an installation it's like this is the sound of the washing machine and they and they and they manipulate it in musical ways but they couldn't have made this album with any other sound sources or any other processes yes.
1: I was going to ask, why a washing machine? Um, and one reason I was thinking about that is this sounds to me a lot like the kind of thing Matthew Herbert does, where he makes albums or out of a particular sound or tracks out of a particular sound. And with him, there's often a political viewpoint behind it. Um, so, so why a washing machine?
0: I mean, I asked them about that when I, when I interviewed them, and, and my sense was that it was kind of um, kind of a lark that they had just kind of gone with, you know, I mean, drew try, drew did have some things to say about, I mean, they both kind of gestured obliquely to like the water crisis and the energy crisis. And, and you know, that washing machines are inefficient, um, you know, apparatuses. They talked about women's work, um, and kind of like how electrical appliances were invented as time-saving devices, uh, which would seem to be a, you know, a, a positive thing, a liberating thing for women. But then what are the downsides of that? But ultimately, I didn't. I don't know. They threw those things out there, but I didn't feel like they were particularly attached to any political critique in the way that Matthew Herbert might have been. I think they were really just sort of intrigued um, and kind of seduced by. The sounds of the washing machine and the specificity of it I mean Martin told me that the idea came to him just doing the laundry he described himself as the as the house husband of the couple he does the laundry he stands at the machine he kind of drums his finger on the, his fingers on the thing yeah. he sort of hums along and and he just got really fascinated by the possibility of doing that I, to me it almost sounded like a dare you know like drew said that the, the first time that Martin mentioned doing an album with the washing machine Drew thought it was a joke, and then he yeah. brought it up again, and he's like, "Oh, you're not joking after all."
1: Because this is one thing I think I've never met mammals, but that I get from interviews with them, from their recorded work, that they're funny, aren't they? They have a, they have a real sense of humor. Oh,
0: they're totally funny. I mean, they're 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 hilarious. I I was just rereading a piece that I wrote about them when they played um, Sonar in in 2014, and they really came across as um, as as comedians as much as anything actually when i interviewed them recently martin said that people say to them they're like you're but that's just a novelty act and he he said absolutely yes we are a novelty act he he would like to be seen as in the tradition of perry and kingsley i mean they're they're very very funny people and that's especially true of their live sets i mean they're they're cracking jokes it's their 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 process sounds really arcane or kind of like beard strokey or or egg headed but it's actually really hilarious and done in the spirit of of fun as much as anything
1: you mentioned their live set um i think one of my favorite things from the interview you did with them was the idea that they want to take the washing machine on tour
0: yeah that would be i mean it would be an, I I read that in an early piece uh piece about this uh this project with them and and when i interviewed them it sounded like it wasn't going to happen for which for the for the very like Practical consideration that you can't really take a machine on stage with a lot of other electrical gear. And fill it with water. I mean, the the liability is just insane. Um, they they did say that they had expressed interest in, in getting one. Of, they have these demo machines at Whirlpool that are that are like they take them to like washing machine conferences and they're <laughs> they're transparent and they light up and they're you know they're super high tech uh, and they wanted to try and get one of those, but. I we'll see if it happens i hope it does that would be it would be
1: neat it'd be fantastic um and they talked also about trying to get sponsorship they asked for twenty thousand dollars didn't they to to take it on the road
0: yeah i don't know if that was the exact figure or if they were just sort of you know paraphrasing their request but yeah they they apparently did approach whirlpool uh and and i guess they were they were told like yeah that's 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 funny. No, no, we're not going to give you that money. Um, I mean, they, they had a lot to say about that, actually. I mean, the of course, there's sort of there's always the question in, in indie music culture of when is it okay? Is it ever okay to take money from a corporation? And I mean, certainly 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, that was really anathema. You know, I mean, it was like to, to license a song yeah. to a television commercial was selling out. It just simply wasn't done. But as as you know, obviously the landscape has changed a lot. Uh, I mean, now at South by Southwest we see things like the Doritos. You know, the the, the two House, story. Was it or something? Uh, it's like a two story um, tall, like Dorito vending machine that just. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know if it plays music or what, but you know, every I think kind bands of pop out or something, like, something that. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they deliver chips to you. I don't know, they feed you. Um, obviously, things have changed, and and Martin's point was was that the compact, the social compact between listeners and, and artists is broken. I mean, it used to be people bought records that supported the artists. And, and since nobody buys records anymore and streaming doesn't pay a living wage, it's completely reasonable that artists would go and, and look for, for funding and should be able to look for, for funding in, in other ways. And in, in this case, it would be ideally Whirlpool.
1: And the last thing I wanted to mention about your interview with them, um, which I'd encourage anyone to go and read, it's on Pitchfork. Um, It contains, I think, my favorite Bjork washing machine anecdote I've ever heard. Uh, Do tell us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I can't really do it justice, but um, I I think that the lead-in to it was that we were talking about the difference between European and American washing machines. And this is actually interesting because living in Europe and having a fairly not a super high it's not like a high-end washing machine but it's it's an aeg it's 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 fairly efficient you know i don't know what it's rated probably b plus or something like that I, but i've you, got a plus 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 that's very <laughs> nice yeah yeah um i don't even know if american washers have energy ratings like that but you mm-hmm. know it's 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 good it's it's quite silent and everything and so martin was talking about how american washers are wildly inefficient and 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 all this stuff and, and also european washers he said are are covered with these sort of um, il, uh, uh, sigils was the word he used you know these signs right. and symbols that can't be understood he said you know what does sine wave over triangle you know with an x and a slash what is that supposed to mean and so they had been at at Bjork's house and, and they were doing their laundry and, and it was going on and on and on and they couldn't make it stop. And he asked Bjork, he's like, Bjork, what did the symbols on your washing machine mean? And he said that she has like a housekeeper that does her wash for her. And so Bjork was like, I don't know. And so they eventually had to just unplug the washing machine and wait for it to like reset so that they could get their wet clothing out and, and go on their way. So yeah, that was that was a
1: good Bjork story. That was a very good Bjork story.
0: Nobody ever talks about like the laundry room at Bjork's house they will now <laughs> so ben obviously the 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 big and tragic news this month has been the death of david bowie which i think caught everybody i mean by by surprise yeah um even people who had been kind of deeply immersed in the album black star which now in retrospect has sort of all this foreboding about it i don't think anybody saw this coming coming um, you wrote about, you wrote in a piece on Medium about um, Bowie and electronic music and that wasn't a relationship I really thought about necessarily, but you ended up having some, some really interesting thoughts there. I mean, you traced kind of a lineage that beginning with obviously his, his his Berlin trilogy and the influence of Krautrock, but also you kind of traced out the ways that he kept evolving along with electronic music over the years. Um, Tell me more about that piece.
1: Well, what happened was I wasn't going to write anything about Bowie because um, there was a lot written about it. There's a lot of really good pieces written about it. And I didn't think at the time I had really anything to add. Um, But what spurred me was there was uh, a piece uh, on MixMag.com, best remixes of Bowie, and they had a top nine. And I suddenly thought, well, why have you got a top nine? No one does a top nine. You know, and I looked through the remixes and some of them were OK, but some of them just really weren't all that. And it's, it got me thinking. So David Bowie is obviously really important in the history of electronic music. Um, his uh, Berlin trilogy of albums uh, introduced uh, incredible synth sounds. They helped to take on the sound of the, the people at Crawford were doing at the time. You know, and he's one of the biggest pop stars in the world at this point. Um and you know, I listened back to Lowe and Heroes and Lodger um just this past week and and you listen to some of the songs there and you think, wow that is really brilliant synth work, you know he's working with Eno and he 's brilliantly atmospheric, melodic, just beautiful songs um but I started thinking, and, and also he had later phases. He had um, Black Tie White Noise in 1993. Was influenced by house music. Which, yeah,
0: I didn't know anything about that. I had no no idea that he was even listening to house at that time.
1: No, I was quite surprised as well. I mean, I remember hearing it at the time, and it sort of had a bit of a house shuffle to it. But when I actually went back and looked at it, he said explicitly in an interview um, that uh, he and now uh, Roger were, now Rogers, sorry, were. Influenced by the house sound, and they wanted to basically make a house music influenced album. Um, And then in 1997, he released Earthling, which obviously drum and bass influenced. And you think all of this, there's got to be loads of good David Bowie uh, remixes, you know, loads of good things that if you were DJing in a club, you could play. So why is there only nine? And I look back, and there just wasn't. And it was, it was, it was kind of strange to me that there wasn't this great legacy of more modern electronic music. So I kind of looked through to find, you know, what the kind of tracks I would play if I was going to be DJing in a club. And I listened back to Earthling. Um, And I came up with a few things. I mean, as I said, um, Black Tie, White Noise was influenced by house music. And there's there's a track on that called Palace Athena, which is essentially a techno, a techno song. I mean, quite a soft techno song. Um... But, you know, a pretty good one. Um, and around that time, there was a left field remix of Jump, They Say, which was a really big song in clubs.
0: And Did, Earth- you, did you hear that out in clubs when you, were, when you were going out around the time?
1: I was just a little bit too young in 1993. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was a big hit, I'm, I've been assured. Um, and I listen back to Earthling. And the thing about Earthling is it's really impressive that someone uh, in his fourth decade of recording embraced drum bass in that way. But you listen back to Songs of Earthling, and for me, they just don't quite work. You know, it, it doesn't quite sound right. It's sort of... It's like the, the, the... It's almost exactly how you'd imagine, a standard David Bowie song with, like, an Amen Break over the top, and it just doesn't quite work. But um, I unearthed a remix that I hadn't actually heard before, which is a Photek remix of I'm Afraid of Americans. And for me, it's fantastic. It's this 1997 Photek beat... Uh, David Bowie singing over the top. And I remember thinking, if Earthling had sounded like that, it would have been a fantastic album. That's
0: really prime FOTEC period too, no? And...
1: Yeah, and it just works really well. It's, it's you know, FOTEC quite a minimal beat, minimal sort of synths in the background, and just the Bowie vocal. But it's not, you know, it's not, he's, he's not cut it up or anything. As far as I can tell, it's pretty much the, the original vocal. So, you know, it's very much a Bowie song, but with uh, FOTEC production. And I just, I wish that... Uh, they'd they'd collaborated more. That would have been fantastic. I mean, funnily enough, some friends of mine were talking about this and they said that they thought that probably he had wanted to do a drum-bass album and he sort of pulled back at the last minute and made it more of a Bowie album. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think it was very much, you know, like he did with with Soul on Young Americans. It was very much him taking the sound and using it. And it just didn't quite work.
0: It's interesting because he was definitely engaging in the culture i mean I, I saw after in the in the flood of sort of remembrances of him there was one from uh fabio and groove rider on twitter saying how one of them had stumbled literally stumbled over him in a club they'd been at metalheads and they sort of stumbled over somebody sitting on the floor and they look down and they're like oh mr bowie sorry <laughs> you know, which is just incredible to think of him going down to metalheads you know and 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 soaking it all up, you know, first-person research. He didn't send his, his A&R person there or something.
1: I mean, there's no doubting it was a very, very sincere uh, affection for drum and bass at the time. I mean, he even played a drum and bass set at the Phoenix Festival in England as the, the Towel Jones Index, his band, played a drum and bass set in the, dan- in the Radio 1 dance tent or something like that. So um, and I, I seem to remember one friend once told me that they'd seen him in a drum and bass club Playing saxophone over drum and bass. I'm not I'm not even sure if, if if I remember that rightly, but I remember someone telling me that. So it was obviously a very um sincere uh love for drum and bass that he had. Gianna's in America, at the wheel.
0: No one needs anyone, they don't even just pretend. <laughs>
1: i'm afraid of americans i'm afraid of the world i'm afraid i can't
0: help it it's funny i, li- I listened I back to i'm afraid of americans the other day i was watching the video and i'd really i'd forgotten all about the existence of that song at the time i really didn't i didn't like it at all in retrospect I mean, it's not my favorite Bowie period, but but the song, it, maybe it just, it kind of took on its own life now. It's just, it exists. You have to sort of accept it on its own terms. And, and it felt like a period snapshot to me. You know, I mean, it had the sort of like glitch breaks, meat, heavy rock. I mean, it was a very nine inch nails sounding thing. It makes more sense to me in retrospect as, as an expression
1: of the late 90s. Funnily enough, I was listening to um, another of his his more electronic tracks, This Art's Filthy Lesson, which was 95, 96. And I remember I absolutely loved it at the time. And that had that a very sort of industrialish sound. And I listened back to it, and actually I didn't think it had aged all that well. <laughs> I was just, I, I remember thinking, oh, I really want to like this now, but not, that's just not quite done it for me, you know. Was it,
0: at the time, was that sort of before you had ventured, f- sort of head first into electronic, pure electronic music?
1: no it was it was probably at the time when i was listening to roughly halfway between rock halfway in between electronic music i wasn't particularly into say industrial music at the time which is maybe more um what it references but i just thought that track was was outstanding
0: it's interesting because you you started off by saying you know uh, how closely tied bowie has been to electronic music and it's funny because on on the one hand i mean that's objectively true and yet there, there's, there. He, he's sort of a special sort of case because I, I don't think of him, and electronic music, as let's say electronic music is often sort of a cloistered realm, right? It's sort of apart from everything else, and obviously it bleeds into pop music and and hip hop and and indie and, and post rock and whatever. But electronic music is is sort of a it's a walled garden, and I think Bowie. Whenever he engaged with electronic music, it was never to be a part of that walled garden. It was always to bring electronic techniques and elements into the realm of rock or pop or whatever you want to call sort of the greater thing that he was doing, not greater in the sense of better, but in the sense of sort of more expansive, more all-encompassing. I think, you know, you think of even the Berlin Trilogy where he had the sort of synthy tracks- walled off on the b-sides but at the same time they were still within the context of rock music you know it, and later on you know the same idea it's like okay i'm going to use these breakbeat rhythms but i'm still making a rock record he never went off and made you know a purist drum and bass record
1: yeah i i think in a way that was his genius wasn't it that it that it that it worked so well and i, I was actually thinking um what the response would have been. I was, I was sort of putting myself back in history and, and thinking, imagine if I was, um, you know, a big fan of American soul music back in the mid-70s. What would I have thought of young Americans? Would I have really enjoyed it? Or would I have thought, well, this is sort of taking our sound? I like to think I'd have really enjoyed it, but it, it's it's an interesting thought. Because it was, you know, very much the Bowie take on 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 existing sound that was very healthy, that um, had a lot of people doing very well. I mean you could argue that it didn't need him to come along at all.
0: Well, that seems to be sort of the premise behind him calling it, was it Plastic Soul? Was that the term he yeah. used? And and a lot of people, I mean, I, Greg Tate had a really great piece. I, I can't remember where he wrote it, but uh, sort of a remembrance of Bowie. And and he argued for Bowie sort of having... Bowie being a friend of the black community and of black musicians. Yeah. And essentially that he didn't try... He, His his homage or his borrowings were always in the spirit of good faith, and he always turned it into his own thing to the extent that it never felt like copying or appropriation. You know, he came in, he 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 sort of ingested soul music, and then he created his own his own version of it that was just different enough that you couldn't say, "Oh, he's just copying these these soul and R and B bands." You know, he he made it his own, and I guess the same to me seems to be true of, of. of his engagement with electronic music.
1: And I think that was very interesting on his very last album, Black Star, which uh, was apparently influenced by Boards of Canada. Um, I was not aware of that. Apparently it is. I'm not sure where that came from because obviously he wasn't giving it any interviews. I'm not quite sure. Um, But it's sort of one of those facts, so-called facts that's out there that it was was influenced by Boards of Canada. And um, I think maybe you hear that on the last song. Um, I can't give uh everything away and it's got these really beautifully pro- programmed drum machines that are kind of a little bit quite jazzy you know not not sort of uh solid 4-4 four, four, you know 4-4 four, four kick and hi-hat and also some lovely synth uh at the end and it doesn't really sound like ball to canada but i could you could sort of see the influence there and uh, it's a fantastic piece of music um and, you know, the last track on his last album, you know, even uh, in 2015, he was still absorbing new influences, and he was still doing them in his own way. But I, I wanted to ask you, because we, um, we were talking about what you would play if you are DJing in a club, and you wanted to play something by Bowie, and you were DJing in a club this past week, and you played uh, the Aphex Twin remix of Philip Glass's Heroes, featuring David Bowie. Featuring right?
0: David Bowie, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, why that, and how did it go down?
0: Well, it was a closing... I mean, I I wanted to play that as my closing track. It, I actually didn't remember that song. It was on Apex Twins 26 remixes for Cash, which I don't know if I just missed entirely when it came out. I, I don't really have any recollection of that. It's possible that at the time, you know, oh, Philip Glass and and Heroes, that's interesting. You know, it just didn't register. But um, I, I saw that start popping up online several people mentioned that online yeah um and uh and it just seemed like the perfect closing track i mean it's a little intense uh it, it was a bar gig that i was playing at switch bar here in barcelona so uh <laughs> you know by the end bowie's really wailing you know i don't know where Aphex twin got the 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 acapella you know the the vocal stems from that session but that's the one right where i think is it tony visconti that worked with him and they set yeah. up the the three gated microphones. Have you read about this? Yes, yeah. So there's one in close proximity, one in the middle, and one at the end of the room. And by the end, he's sort of bellowing in order for the third mic to pick up his voice. And that really comes through in the Apex Twin mix. I mean, it's really... It's kind of harrowing.
1: I mean, it's a great, great track. And I... um, I mean, I've got 26 mixes for cash. And I I think it was really overlooked at the time. I mean, I, I was looking back at the history, and it came out apparently... Uh, in 1999, um, on a sort of bonus CD uh, with the Philip Glass uh, version of Heroes, um, so you can understand that that wouldn't have been that well known. But Twenty Six Mixes for Cash is quite well known, um, and I think actually it's only you know since Bowie's death that people have started to reevaluate it and, and just realize what a fantastic piece of music it is.
0: I suppose people just took it for granted a little bit, you know. It's like oh, FX Twins screwing around. Um. And what
1: what what I wonder, and I don't think this is a story that's been told, is how did it happen? Because obviously, Philip, you know, he got the Philip Glass track to uh, remix, and then that doesn't have any of the Bowie vocal on it. And then he sticks the Bowie vocal sort of cut up, kind of faithful to the original, but kind of cut up on top of it. Where did he get that from? I yeah, mean, what, that's a how... great
0: question. I mean, he knows somebody. I mean, you know, Avex Twin's not nobody. He clearly has... His industry connections, and at that period, he was kind of at the peak of his remixing clout, shall we say? Yeah. But, but still, to get to get uh, David Bowie vocal stems like that is no no mean feat.
1: No, it's very impressive. I, I, I would love to hear that story someday.
0: The uh, I, I was thinking about your question of what would you play in a of Bowies in a in a in a discotheque, and and I should actually mention the the great J D Twitch of of Optimo. Set on on uh, Mixcloud right now. He shortly after Bowie's death, he put together an hour-long set. Nothing fancy, just an hour of Bowie songs that he's played in discos over the years. And it's a really nice, uh, it's a really nice session. Um, The version that I had forgotten about is that James Murphy remix, which uh, which uses Steve Reich's clapping music, and it's just it's so moving. It's it's such an incredible remix.
1: And I mean, it makes me wonder. What those two could have done together, um, because James Murphy is on the final album, um, but I certainly don't think you'd find much of his, his his fingerprints over it. I mean, he contributed a bit a bit of percussion, uh, possibly a bit of production, if I remember rightly. Um, but yeah, it's a collaboration that that I would have loved to seen taken further.
0: I didn't know that he was on the on the new album.
1: Yeah, if you look down in the credits, um, as I say, it's not it's not a great deal but yeah he is there
0: I, I was listening back to his remix and i was just thinking like what that f- for somebody like james murphy for whom david bowie is obviously such a towering figure i mean i was listening to david Bowie's song dj and i was thinking like that's lcd sound system in a nutshell yeah. i mean they wouldn't exist without that song right i mean Right down to the sort of the, the arch, you know, I am the DJ, I am what I play, that kind of sardonic perspective of, of taste and sort of hipsterism. I mean, that's, that's losing my edge. you know what I mean? That's yeah. it's all right there. And I was thinking about how, for James Murphy, just to have remixed David Bowie must be, like, one of the greatest honors that you
1: can have. But I think the great thing is about his remix that if sometimes when people remix legends that they're far too respectful um, because you know you get it into your head oh, I'm remixing David Bowie what on earth am I going to do um, and you don't want to mess around with it too much and I think James Murphy didn't do that he he messed around with it and he played around I think that's kind of why that's why it's so good and also I would be prepared to put quite a large bet that when LCD sound system play uh, Reform and Play gigs Coachella and Primavera there'll be a Bowie cover in there I bet you Yeah,
0: I I I, I wouldn't bet against that
1: Okay, maybe someone will <laughs> uh
0: Ben, shall we talk about what we're what we're listening to right now?
1: so this is uh our first podcast, and as it is early in two thousand and sixteen um, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk a little bit about what we're listening to right now um, and what we're going to be listening to for the rest of two thousand and sixteen so Philip, start off what what are you listening to now
0: um, this week, I have been listening over and over and over to two songs in particular uh by mr fingers aka larry heard yeah it's his first new material under the mr fingers name and i i don't i want to say like 10 years or something
1: like that um i can't think of any anything more recent than that
0: yeah i mean what was the last anyway i mean a while. The last big Larry Heard thing that made an impact on me that felt like really significant was Sun Can't Compare to You, which was I want to say two thousand seven or something like that. Um the the new track, there's a new four track EP unalleviated, um clones distributing it. And the two tracks on the A side are just stunning. The 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 A one is it's kind of an acid track but it's not your conventional acid it's it's very sort of sparse and spacious and it might not even be a 303 but it's definitely an acid ish feel um and then it's the a2 It's called quasars which is just these lush pads um really emotional really moving i mean i, I played it the other night and i had goosebumps when i put it on i mean it's just one of those songs and i really think um what what, what impresses me so much about it is in addition to just being beautiful music is that here's an artist who's been doing this for 30 odd years at this point yeah I think more and um and he's still putting out original music you know and and so many people who have done it for so long can kind of cruise on their reputations and he's not doing I mean he's still making he's not making stuff that sounds like his old work you know he's still making He's still charting new ground, which is, I guess, a very Bowie thing to do in some ways.
1: I mean, I'm very impressed that that he goes back to the Mr. Finger's name. Because, I mean, imagine the pressure of releasing something under the Mr. Finger's name. You know, with all this legendary catalogue behind you, it would be so much easier just to sort of leave that name lie. But actually, going back to that, that for me is quite a strong statement. You know, it's like saying... "It's true, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I made all these classics back in the day and I'm, I'm 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 still making music of that quality i mean is it is it that good is it sort of can you feel it good is it
0: i mean it's i don't even think you can compare sun can't compare um you can't compare in that sense because the context is so different right, right? i mean you know can you feel it there were how many deep house tracks were there that year <laughs> this year there's that Five. many every hour you yeah. know what i mean but um But I mean, in terms of, to me, they tower over everything that, you know, virtually everything that I've heard this month. I mean, they're really phenomenal moving tracks and and really special. And I think think we're going to hear a lot of them this year. So, uh, yeah, big, big shout out to Mr. Fingers.
1: And how was it when you played it? Did it get a good reaction? It
0: did, yeah. I mean, um, it was just, uh, it's a little bar here in in the Grafio neighborhood, so it's not like, you know, there were heaving dance floors or anything like that. But um, I played the first track was actually my opening track, and and I was really excited because my co DJ was was super curious to see what it was, you know. And, uh, he and leaned over, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he leaned over. I covered the CDJs with my hand, you know, I I pushed so. him back, uh, and then and then the other one, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just it sounded it sounded wonderful. I mean, it's a really beautiful tune. So yeah, um, what are you excited about, Ben?
1: Well, um, I'm particularly excited about something about. This week um, is the new ad- album from Fatima Al kadiri which is called Brute. And she's one of those artists that um, I seems to really fit in well with what I particularly like. I mean, I remember her 2014 album, Asiatish, was my album of the year. And I remember thinking, well, this is going to be in a lot of people's albums of the year. This is going to be a kind of top 10 album or, or, or whatever, you know, top 10 in the lists. And it it wasn't there at all. You know, you looked at down most um, album year lists, and it just wasn't there. And I think it just really sat very well with my taste, which was it. I kind of like albums, sometimes with an idea behind them. And this was basically, if I remember rightly, a, a journey in an imagine, imaginary China, imaginary futuristic China. And it was really well produced. It just sparkled, and it had really nice. Like really good melodies it was sort of kind of grime influence, but whereas with all the sort of really rough like the edgy,
0: sino grime right yeah, yeah
1: yeah, but you know sometimes grime sounds a bit like it 's been made, well, it probably has been made on someone 's playstation, you know this sounded absolutely beautiful, um, and the new album uh, actually really reminds has the same kind of thing i mean again it 's got it 's got a concept she's it 's called brute she 's talking about. Authority, she's talking about the militarization of the police, she's talking about protest, she's talking about use of yeah, the use of force. Um and that obviously on on the one level you've got samples of people talking about demonstrations and, and the police using force and that kind of thing. You've actually got a sample apparently of, of a long range acoustic device, which is something the police like a sonic device. The sonic cannons, right? Yeah, that the police use to to essentially deafen people um, but you can you can sort of feel the concept anyway even without w- without that i mean it's a very sort of uh, moody almost paranoid sounding record um it feels a little on edge um it feels sort of violent in a way um and again it's got this sort of fantastic melodies it sounds fantastic that kind of grime influence as well but not overtly grime and actually funnily enough both of her records um, remind me a little bit of Crawford's Tour de France soundtracks in the, which was an album I absolutely loved I know it's not the most loved of the Crawford catalog, but I, I really really loved because they just sound beautiful and they've got these melodies and they just sort of glide off the record, out of the speakers, and you say, oh, that's such a fantastic sound, sounding kind of record, and really elegant, you know, she, she's kind of talking about horrible things, but in a really, really elegant way, and I just, I just found myself, it's not a long record, it's maybe sort of 35 minutes, 40 minutes, so I just found myself listening to it, and again, and again, and again, sort of really enjoying it.
0: It's an interesting approach to 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 take subject matter like that and make it very. It's. I mean, in your description, it sounds very well. You just said elegant, right? It sounds very mm. beautiful. That's an interesting contrast, right? Because you could just pile on the distortion and and make it very ugly, you know. So she seems to be doing well. Something int- very different.
1: Interestingly, that's reflected in the cover art as well, which is it's a picture of. A sculpture. The sculpture's called Popo. I don't know. I can't remember who the artist is. I'm afraid, but it's a picture of this sculpture, which is essentially. what well, it looks like a Teletubby in in America. Ah, yeah, it's really creepy. I've been. Yeah. I've
0: been I was. I, I actually have a hard time looking at it. Because it's, it's, it's not really nice, is it?
1: <laughs> it's like a Teletubby in American right gear police riot gear uniform
0: also looks kind of like a lego riot squad person Yeah. yeah
1: well they've then apparently retouched that photo so it just again it kind of shines it's not a nice image at all but it really 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 fits the music that that's inside it's a very um impressive uh synergy i suppose between the two and i'm not for example in 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 the press release with it they talk about the cover they don't say all that much about about the album they say a bit but then they talk about the cover and and you can really see why because it really is relevant to the whole the whole package
0: it's interesting because i mean electronic music now and then sort of dances around kind of political themes or ideas but they they rarely come to the fore you know and so it's uh, not that i think that electronic music is not well suited to it but somehow the, the political element often tends to sort of fall out, you know, so it's interesting to see her kind of confronting it head on. I mean, the, I think of Autecker and their anti-EP, which, yeah. you know, addressed the, the criminal justice bill head on. Um, but do, do you feel like, like there's a political moment in electronic music or there's a potential for a political moment?
1: I don't think there is a political moment because I think, as you say, um, not many people do it. Um and for me this record, the Fatima Kadiri record, very much um fits in, I guess, more with, with sort of hip hop with Kendrick Lamar, with that with that kind of it doesn't sound like it at all, but with that, that kind of feeling. Um I I actually think that it, uh, sort of political statements on techno records on electronic music can when they're done well, they can be really good. I'm thinking of Underground Resistance. You know sure, a lot of yeah, their. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of their track "Riot" when I was listening to um, the Fatima Al Qadiri record, and they're very, very different. But um, again, that's a fantastic track from uh, from Underground Resistance. And again, that really works. Kind of, it, it sounds panicky. It sounds like a riot and kind of exciting, panicky. You know that 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 kind of thing. And I think when it's done well, it can really work. But doing it well that's the problem <laughs>
0: you don't want to do it poorly
1: no no so what else uh mr fingers what else have you uh been listening to
0: uh i'm really excited about this new max max d aka max million dunbar album uh called boost that's going to be coming out on future times i think in march it was supposed to be out already but um the the the, the backlogs at the pressing plants are are holding that up and so it was going to be february and now now they tell me it's march um, but it, I don't know if you're following the Future Times crew at all out of Washington, D.C., uh, Beautiful Swimmers, Maximilian Dunbar, uh, People in Their Orbit. There's a great new EP by a woman named Shanti Celeste on them. English DJ, right? You know, I, I don't have the faintest idea where she's from. Th- um, she's from Bristol. It's it's possible. I just got hers. Yeah, that sounds right, because I feel like she was doing something with, some, with the Bristol uh, labels, but uh, I just got that EP off... Uh, Bandcamp and it's it's actually been really cool to see because when you buy something on Bandcamp and then if somebody else I don't know how they know but if somebody else sees it on your page and then right. they buy it you get the little email and it says like Boom Shaka or Booyah or, you just made something happen and ever since I bought that the Shanti Celeste P like my email has been filling up with like people buying that off of my recommendations. So my nice. pa- totally passive recommendation. So here's an active recommendation by the Shanti Celeste P. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the max D records really interesting. It's, he has a style unlike anybody else. I mean, it's, I, I couldn't really tell you what he's been listening to or what kind of gear he's using. There's a very, I mean, it's, It sounds like it's been made with machines, but it's not the usual machines. Um, He seems to use a lot of sort of like FM synthesis and like DX7 kind of shiny FM tones, um, a lot of sort of broken rhythms. But it's not like West London broken beat. (laughs)
1: I was, I must confess, a little put off uh, him by the the tag that's going around. Well, that was going around. I don't know if anyone used it outside a house. Do people still talk about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, A, I would definitely not pin that on uh, on, on Max D because, like, he'd be the last person to sort of embrace a tag like that. Um, He's a uniter, not a divider. Excellent. Um, But I can understand your... I mean, I think that was, like, a well-meaning tag that maybe... Went the wrong
1: way. Um. It just seemed to me like a kind of tag too much, you know. It's just I just just call it house music, you know. I yeah. it, it I think what it's supposed, and which I didn't like about this tag, and obviously he didn't use it. I'm not. This is not not about him necessarily, but it was just the idea that oh, there's all this sort of. Uh, dumb house, you know, that people are listening to you know, that's kind of bronzed people who've been beautiful beach bodies, you know, but we're outside a house and we're more interesting and I just don't, I, I don't know, I don't really I, mean, I,
0: I tend to suspect that the the reason that term came into use in the first place is because the term underground is so meaningless at this yeah. point you can't really say underground because somebody like I mean, I think Richie Houghton still claims to be underground, right? And yeah. it's like so, so, you know, that doesn't work, but But the problem with Outsider House is these artists are still, who I think, you know, I think it was called Outsider because many of them come from outside of dance. You know, maybe they were in noise bands before or they were in punk bands before, and then they started making, and there are artists like that. I mean, Container did not grow up going to discos and dancing to masters at work, you know. He comes from the noise scene in Providence, and so he is technically on the outside of these things but if you look at a lot of the artists on lies or or labels like that i mean they're still getting booked at the same clubs yeah as insider house d it's a silly term we can agree on that but i wouldn't hold that against max d
1: no 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 i think i was just getting off my chest no no
0: but he's doing he's doing really interesting stuff um it's it's the kind of music that i can't i can't figure it out you know it's like as much as i listen to it it's it's kind of a code that I haven't cracked yet, and and that's always interesting to me. It's rhythmic, it's um, the the timbre, the variety is super interesting. There are melodies. There's a spirit of play, um, but it keeps me kind of scratching my head and going back for more.
1: Yeah, and you were saying um, there's a surgeon track as well. You've been listening to
0: yeah. There's a whole new surgeon album actually um, called From Farthest Known Objects. And um Surgeon's somebody that I've been I've been interested in for I mean since since I sort of started discovering techno in
1: the Latin, days. Though. Yeah
0: in like ninety seven I I I bought some of his records on on the ideal label or ideal whatever. Um and yeah, I've always liked his approach. He you know, he's speaking of kind of outsider aesthetics, I mean he's somebody that takes has always taken techno straight down the middle, four to the floor, yeah. thundering techno, and tweaked it and warped it and made it just a little bit other. I mean, I, some sort of like Christian Vogel maybe. And, yeah. um, and these new Surgeon tracks are really interesting. I mean, he said something to the extent that he, he was using old gear in unusual or unexpected ways, which... You know that that's an easy thing to say but but you really do hear in this music it doesn't sound like anything else that's being done. It sounds to me like there's just one or two or three machines um the rhythms are very kind of lumpy and warped and unusual the song the the sounds he's using he's not using your typical big fat nine o nine or eight oh eight kick drums. they're these very spongy crumbly kick drums um it's uh, yeah. It's a, it's it's an interesting record, and I'm I'm quite into it.
1: fascinating actually how someone like surgeon has drifted back into fashion um because he's been around for so so long pretty much i'm not gonna say doing the same thing but you know he he's pretty much stuck to techno to, to, to very good techno and um you know for for a long time uh he was of interest to people doing techno and now he seems to be seen as as a real sort of on of, of of uk techno of kind of making interesting techno you get a lot of the uk based people referencing him
0: sure and like the british murder boy stuff that he yeah. was doing as well you know which seems to have been a big influence on people like Blawan and the whole kind of brutalist squad
1: and he also uh didn't he open for lady gaga
0: yeah i i i still don't know the full story there he collaborated with somebody I think Lady Starlight? Yeah, her DJ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I don't really know that they did play at... Um, Actually, they played at Unsound in Krakow last fall, and I saw a bit of their set, and it was super interesting. Um, I had the feeling at the time that there were no snares. I remember noticing that, and I'm not even sure there were kick drums. It was really like hmm. the sense of, like, it's techno, but by another means. You know, they're not yeah. just, like, plugging in the same kind of sound sound sets that you usually hear and 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 that's exciting to me when you take a form and you kind of map it onto something else.
1: Yeah. So what else what else have you been listening to?
0: Oh, uh, it's my turn still?
1: Ah. <laughs> ben,
0: what are you what are you uh, excited about?
1: Well, I was going to come up with not necessarily a new release, um but an artist I'm excited about for 2016. Um which is Tarquin. Um not so sure about the name, but there we go. Tarquin, um who is a London producer Um, I guess you could say... Well, he's very hard to categorise, but I guess you could put him somewhere like Grime, UK-based, that kind of thing. Um, But he's only officially released one single, um, which was for Gobstopper Records, and that was in summer, um, and it was called Kid You and Lost My Marbles. And it's fantastic. Just both tracks are absolutely fantastic. Kid You is kind of quite fun plays around with r&b cuts things up you know uh, really great rhythm and lost my marbles is is what well, the the clue is in the title it just sounds pretty insane um sort of borderline scary but a, a never kind of losing sight of the dance floor you could you could you could dance to it in a sort of enlightened disco i think but basically he so he's got one official release um there's also um a sort of free download release uh, via unknown to the unknown, which is called bananas. Um, but probably the best way to actually hear what he's done, he did uh, a mix. It's about thirty-five minutes for a Czech radio uh, station called Radio Wave, and they've got a show called Turban. And this mix is one hundred percent his own productions, and he rattles through about thirty of them, and it's just it's just brilliant. I think it just for me, it hits that real sweet spot between very strange but still danceable. You know, you could still pretty much dance dance to this. Um, even though there's sort of weird noises, weird, the, the timings weird, and he's he's not only that but he's cramming all these tracks in, you know, so that like every minute there's a new track. It's, it's just quite incredible. He reminds me in a funny way um almost of someone like Peppy Braddock. Not in sound at all, but just in the way that you could dance you could answer both of them, but there's something a bit weird about that. It's kind them. of wrongness, kind of off
0: yeah, feeling. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, Which, again, is something I really, really like. Um, and again, with Tarquin, he's sort of got his associations with mean, this Gobstopper Records and Mr. Mitch. And I think he, uh, he plays with the boxed people, DJs with them. Uh, he's been on Rinse FM, and Plastician is a big fan. Um, and you can kind of see all of that, but at the same time, he doesn't really sound like any of them. You know, he's very much got his own thing. And um so I would thoroughly recommend him.
0: Alright. That sounds
1: good. And Prince Thomas.
0: Yeah, Prince Thomas has the new I want to say it's called Principe del Norte uh yeah. which is um, kind of an ambient record he's he's done and I haven't I haven't listened to it a ton but it sounds it sounds really interesting. It's it's him kind of like taking a step back from the dance floor, taking a step back from the the full-on sort of quote-unquote disco things and and stripping it down. Um, many of the tracks seem to be mostly drum free. And um, yeah, it sounds really nice so far.
1: I can see him making ambient ambient records sort of from his his productions. There's always something quite spacious about them. And if you took out the drums, um, they would go quite well in that context, I think.
0: Yeah, I think he's always... I mean I've always thought that the whole sort of new disco tag wasn't entirely i have always thought it was a little bit limit limiting for all of those yeah. guys for Lindstrom, for tatari and, and all the norwegians um and especially for prince thomas i mean the his his triple c d mix c d last year uh the name of which i'm I'm spacing on but um the one the the one in the can
1: the uh the triple mix c d Goulash.
0: paradise yeah, right. goulash um brilliant cd i mean a, a brilliant mix i thought that was so it took in so much so many different kinds of music um and yet it was so it flowed so well it was really seamless um and you i mean you just couldn't you couldn't call it disco you couldn't just put that tag on yeah. it, you know and i think so like you say it makes perfect sense to see him kind of stepping back and trying a, a sort of purely ambient record and it works really well
1: okay and when would you listen to it
0: uh sunday morning drinking coffee uh making dinner the the usual times i listen to music perfect And do you have one last thing to, uh, to leave us with before we, before we sign off for the day?
1: Um, I've got no more music, um, but I would uh, encourage anyone uh, to go to our SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com, hyphen, uh, sorry, soundcloud.com, forward slash, line, hyphen, noise, hyphen, podcast. Sorry, I couldn't get a better uh, <laughs> address than that. Um, on Twitter, it's at line noise pod. Uh, or you can find us at Ben Cardew at Philip Sherman, and if you want to send us an email, and why not uh, line noise podcast at gmail dot com.
0: Sounds like you got the basis covered, Ben. Hi. This has been fun. Absolutely. Thank you, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time.